Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. Sixteen. Thou hast taught me. It is well. None other can teach that divine lesson but Christ himself. Thou hast taught me. It is well. Though Satan should buffet. Though trials should come. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the son of man am? <clears throat> and they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Pay heed to those words. And I will give unto thee the kings, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here, which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of thy word, and ask now that you would please be merciful to us this morning in guiding and directing us by thy Spirit into these truths. Lord, you promised that the Spirit would come and testify of you. Lord, I pray that we would hear clearly that testifying this morning by thy Spirit through thy word. Grant us understanding. Help us, Father Lord, to humbly approach this text in hopes that you would guide and direct us in all of them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have... <clears throat> in our text, some amazing 
truth. Yet like many promises of God, they do not come without great suffering. For though, as Paul said, though afflictions are light and but a moment, working for us, he said in 1 Corinthians, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, yet they are still afflictions. And though the Lord delivers us out of them all, as we sang in Psalm 34, they still be many. We read during our prayer time the book of Ecclesiastes where it says, as long as you live, remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. It was Augustine who once said, God has had only one son upon earth without sin, but none without suffering. We would like all to learn lessons in a pleasant manner, one which is comfortable to our flesh. And yet, once we've grown a little bit in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come to learn that most of the most valuable lessons we've ever learned from Christ came when we are at our lowest and we see ourselves as nothing. And we see Christ as everything. But he turned and said unto Peter, verse 23, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Herein is a most amazing and most humbling thing. That no sooner after Christ proclaims Peter to be blessed by his Father in heaven, he is sharply rebuked for savoring not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. To be so blessed by the Father, only so quickly afterward, to fall into the temptation of Satan. Let me remind you just briefly and quickly this morning before we begin our sermon. Whenever we examine in anyone, but especially in Scripture, the weaknesses and sins of others, let us do it with the greatest of humility. For it's easy to judge and criticize Peter for all his faults. Yet how would we look if God were to reveal our secret faults and weaknesses in his eternal word so that others in all generations could read them? Let us always exercise the greatest humility when examining the faults and failures and sins of others, not only from those in Scripture, but actually with every Christian. Always exercise the greatest humility, remembering the beam in our own eye. For only then shall we learn 
what God intends for us to learn from others' mistakes. To be so blessed by the Father and yet so quickly to fall in the condemnation of Satan. Verily, the psalmist said, Verily, every man at his best state is altogether holy and in all and every manner. Every man, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And then the psalmist says, Selah. It is though he finished it with an Amen, Lord. For none are as good as you. Man at his best state could never achieve anything closest to you. And yet, as always, when man is at his worst, we see Christ at his best. Are you following me, dearly beloved, elect children of God? Do we not see Christ at its best when we are at our worst? For no sooner does Christ proclaim that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church, in verse 18, than Satan would immediately make every attempt through Peter to do such a thing. Isn't it amazing? He just got finished saying, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And then immediately Satan attempts to do so through tempting Peter. Christ would fulfill and prove this promise immediately after he proclaimed it. Amazing truths in this passage of Scripture. The more I dwelt in it, the more they kept coming out, and the more I thought, Lord, there's just way too much here. How can I ever, ever preach on them all? For so often we're so concentrated on Peter's failure and Christ's rebuking that we miss some of the most wonderful, important truths about what is happening in this event. Just like God was the one that says, Have you seen my servant Job? Almost so too with Peter. Peter, you're blessed. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Almost as though Christ would provoke Satan to attempt to prevail against his church, and Christ would prove him to fail. How do you know that? Look in chapter 17 of verse 1. After his sharply rebuking Peter. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Christ, beloved, bears long with the weaknesses and sins of his people. It's an attribute called the long-suffering of God. He suffers our sins and our weaknesses long. And where often our faith fails, 
Unlike men who judge the appearance, the outward appearance, God judges the heart. And where God sees sincerity, Christ will often overlook or strengthen our faults. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. I love how the hymnist was stirred by the Spirit to record it in such word. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Do you understand and realize the power of the blood of Christ against the temptations of Satan? My, I'm telling you, that's the most powerful weapon we have against all Satan's temptations is the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. He has cleansed me and washed me and made me righteous in his blood even before Satan, though he may buffet me. I am in Christ by His blood made perfect before God. And we see that in how He deals with Peter. Though He's sharply rebuked, yet after six days, He still draws Peter to His side and keeps him within that closed circle of fellowship which He often shared with James and John. Nothing changed. With Christ's love and faithfulness towards Peter. Nothing changed. Nothing you and I could ever do. Listen to me. Nothing you and I could ever do. The greatest sin, and I, I say that with very much caution in that, but the greatest sin cannot keep us from the love and faithfulness of Christ. His blood has secured our salvation and our standing before God eternally. And nothing can change or alter that, not even the greatest buffetings of Satan. Let this blessed assurance control. Think not, dearly beloved, because you are a child of God, that Satan shall not seek or desire your destruction and your demise. For your adversary, Peter said, the same Peter who learned well of the adversary. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. His goal is destruction and our demise. We underestimate Satan. As a matter of fact, I believe many Christians today don't even give a second thought to our adversary, the devil. seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, he says, be sober, be vigilant. Resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. We're seeing that in Peter. That are in the world. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But he goes on to say, and you need to listen, he said, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, he's still in context about our adversary, being sober, be vigilant. 
but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Oh, believe this is a hard lesson for the flesh, but very healthy for the spirit. For this would not be Peter's last encounter with Satan. For soon he would seek to sift Peter as weak. Remember in Luke chapter 22? If Christ said, I prayed for your faith, and after you've been converted, strengthen your brethren. It's amazing, isn't it? Every time Satan in the Gospels, even in the Old Testament, encountered God's people. Listen to me. Every time Satan encountered, though it was a painful experience for many, they all came out the better for it. Not because of anything we do or did or they did, but because of Christ. Are you following me? They came out the better for it. You need to think about that. Paul, when he was lifted up to the highest heaven, he said he was given a thorn in the flesh. A, he was buffeted, a, a messenger of Satan, he called it, so that he would not be exalted. Sounds like Peter here in our text. My heavenly Father has revealed that unto you. But immediately he's humbled by his savoring the things of men. Christ would keep us from pride. And amazing that pride is one thing Satan always seems to enhance in us. He said, I, he said, I got a messenger from Satan to buffet me. But out of that, what did Paul learn in that text? Second Corinthians 12.9. I sought Christ that he would relieve me of this. But he said, no, my grace is sufficient. From the buffeting of Satan, from the thorn in the flesh, Paul learned the grace of God to be sufficient. Therefore, I glory in my infirmities. Where once he was saying, I want to get rid of it, now he embraces it. You see what grace does. You see the great mysteries of the kingdom of God. You see how Christian looks at things in life, every storm, every wave, every trial, every buffeting, as a, as a, as a reason to triumph in Christ. Even later when Satan would seek to sift Peter as weak, and Peter would weep bitterly because he denied Christ three times. What came out of it? The last chapter in the Gospel of John, Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know I do. Peter, lovest thou me more than all these? Lord, you know I do. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know, then feed my sheep. Out of Satan's sifting, Peter became a better man for Christ. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. <laughs> Even Christ himself, who is our greatest example, Matthew chapter 3, 
The Father speaks from heaven. A dove comes down and lays on him. The picture of the Holy Spirit. You have the Godhead tree united. First time in a long time. United right there. At the end of chapter 3, what happens in chapter 4, verse 1? Then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to what? To be tempted of Satan. Luke says he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan in the power of the Spirit. You know how Luke says he came out? In that same power. He came out in the power of the Spirit. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we sometimes misread these promises. That does not mean there will be no weapons formed against us. It says they will be formed against us. There's going to be weapons formed against you and I. The Bible says they shall not prosper, though, but they're still weapons. We miss that so often. Nor that there'll be no things that will seek to separate us from the love of God. He says that because there's many things that seek to separate us from the love of God. That's why he says that nothing shall separate us. Why? Because many things will try. But they shall not prevail in their attempts to separate it. You, you see that? Many times we miss that. Which leads us this morning to the divine and blessed exhortation which arose out of Christ's most humbling rebuke of Peter. For in every divine chastisement, there is a lesson. There's a lesson to be learned in every chastisement. I wish we could, God's people, so see that not only with our relationship with Christ, but also with one another. We make mistakes in our relationship with Christ. And God chastens us and we learn from that. It doesn't change anything with our relationship with Christ. We as Christians, like uh, Brother and I spoke yesterday, to love one another as Christ loved us, should seek to practice that same thing towards one another. When one asks for forgiveness, one should forgive. Seven times seventy. But in every chastisement, there's a lesson. And that in the spirit of the psalmist in Psalm ninety fifteen, who said, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Make us glad. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. That's a strange comment, isn't it? Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. I like what Charles Spurgeon once said. And he said, and I quote, God, who is great in justice when he chastens, will not be little in mercy when he blesses. He will be great all through. You say, how do I know that? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want us to see this before we get into this exhortation. Is that exactly what Christ is doing with Peter and his disciples? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Now listen, as Christ rebukes Peter and turns to his disciples and exhorts everyone. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. You know, that's flog. It's not, not comfortable. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Listen to this exhortation. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Paul says in our text, there's a divine exhortation that has a voice. Not any voice, but he says it's the voice of the now loving and heavenly Father. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh, speaketh unto you as unto children. See that? He says, despise it not. Don't faint under it when you're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And therefore the exhortation is to take the chastisement that God gives you, the rebukes God gives you, and learn from that. That's what we must learn in our text in Matthew chapter 16. And that, I believe, is what Peter also learned. With that, come back to Matthew chapter 16 in verse 24. I'll only briefly be able to touch on this exhortation this morning because that which or how Christ begins it is vitally important for us to understand and I hope and pray that you would listen. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. Okay, in verse 23 or 22, I mean, Peter took him. That means Peter took him to the side. Peter takes the Lord to the side. He doesn't do this in front of the disciples. He takes the Lord to the side and said, Lord, be it far from thee. But, watch in verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Though Peter takes Christ aside, it is to all his disciples that Christ would speak this divine exhortation. For though it was Peter who rebuked him, it was in the interest and well, spiritual well-being of all his disciples to hear his exhortation. Peter did something that the Lord knew all his disciples needed to hear. And it's amazing because though he speaks to Peter, get thee behind me, and I want to believe that they were still to the side when Peter is rebuked of the Lord, I'm not sure, Scripture's silent on that, but it does say Peter took him to the side. So I'm believing that Christ rebuked Peter 
privately. Could be wrong. Whatever it might be, Christ still turns to disciples and gives this exhortation. If any man will come after me. Now, believe me, over the 40 years I've been saved, there has been many a debate and controversy which has surrounded this divine exhortation. With some placing too much emphasis on man's own ability and will to go after Christ, if any man will, while others would almost completely ignore or seek to rest Christ's exhortation that if any man will, come after me. There's been a lot of debates over this. Therefore, let us be careful not to confuse or distort this divine exhortation to satisfy our own opinions or our own man-made theology. For there is a divine balance, I believe, like all things in Scripture, in this exhortation, which we must humbly consider. There's a divine balance. Christ does say, if any man will, come after me. If any man Though Christ speaks to all his disciples, I want you to notice this, and you need to pay attention to this. It is to any man, singular, that he directs his exhortation. This is important. He turns to his disciples, but he speaks individually. He doesn't say, if you all want to follow me, he says, out of all of you. I'm speaking to all of you, but I'm speaking individually. If any man, if any man will come after me. <clears throat> It doesn't matter what others are doing or decide. Christ has the whole 12 of them there, but he speaks individually. I'm going to speak to every one of you individually. If any man will come after me. It doesn't matter what the disciple next to you is going to do. It doesn't matter what the other one's going to do. It doesn't matter what they say. Christ speaks individually. Like Christ asking of whom do men say that he, the Son of Man, was. And they said, this guy, this guy, or that guy. And he turns and said, yeah, but whom say ye that I am? See, what do you think? Now, now, listen to me. We need to understand this if we're going to understand this exhortation. It is so, even this morning, Christ is asking all of us. As a group, the question goes out, but he's asking individually. What are you going to do? I don't care what Brother Stewart does. What are you going to do, Brother Dave? I don't care what Brother Dave's going to do. What are you going to do, Greg? If any man. In our choosing to follow Christ, and I use that word, choosing to follow Christ, it's not what others might say or do, but will you follow me, Christ asked. Though we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but exhort one another daily, considering one another to provoke into love and the good works, as Hebrews says. We are dependent upon one another's spiritual well-being. Ephesians teaches that. We should, uh, we should excel. We should lift up others above ourselves. First Corinthians, the church is like a body. Every member is important, though all that is true. Yet what Christ is saying is in our choosing to follow Christ, it must be a decision, a resolution of our own. Are you, are you listening? If any man. 
<clears throat> Peter seeing John in John chapter 21 saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what's that to you? Follow thou me. Why am I saying this? I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me say this anyway. Over 40 years of walking the Christian life, I'm telling you, if you are dependent on what other people do and how they follow Christ, you're going to fall because they're going to fall. You need to make up your mind, in your own heart and mind, that you're going to follow Christ. It's a conscientious decision. I'm going to decide to follow Christ. Now, I know... I'm getting ahead of myself. I know the Armenians love that and Calvinists hate that. But that is what Christ is saying here. If any man. Paul, uh, Paul said himself in Galatians, but let every man prove his own work. Let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. You see, it's the same biblical instruction. You're going to bear your own burden. You're going to be held responsible for yourself. Children of Israel, when they refused to go across the border and later on decided they wanted to go, they said, yeah, but our brothers discouraged our hearts. The Lord didn't buy that. He said, no, nope, not buying that. Listen, if you don't make a conscientious decision in your own heart and mind, and it's by the grace of God, as we'll see in a few minutes, to follow Christ, regardless of what other people say or do, you are going to fall. Because I'm telling you, there's sometimes in your Christian life that you must walk alone. I've been there, and I'm sure you have. Christ will have you walk alone. And if you're looking to others to keep up the pace, to follow Christ, you're going to fall. You have to make a decision. Very simple song. Many people don't like it. I have decided to follow Jesus. Each servant in Matthew 25 that was given a talent was responsible for that talent he was given. And each one bore the responsibility. Those that gave much back and increased back were blessed. He that kept it and hid it was cursed. It's a biblical principle. How many times have you and I fallen in our walk with Christ because we've looked upon others and what they thought and what they believed and we fell? Sometimes we look to the condition of the church today and we get discouraged. You can't do that. Yes, it disheartens us. Yes, it should move us to pray. Yes, we should, we should feel about that. We should be moved by that to pray. But never, never let it hinder you from following Christ. If any man... When we begin to follow men... The church at Corinth, I am of Paul, I'm of Paulus, and I have a Cephas, and, a, and not of Christ. It leads only like them to divisions and schisms. Not the same mind and judgment. 
Isn't that amazing? He said that I, I would have you have the same mind in judgment, but they couldn't because they were following men. See, when we follow Christ, then we all have the same mind and the same judgment. You see that? That which unites us is Christ. Not Brother Dave's opinion, not Brother Greg's opinion, not mine. It's Christ. Christ is what unites us and gives us one mind and one judgment. And I'm telling you, you have to make a decision in your heart and your mind to follow Christ. And I'm telling you, there's going to be oftentimes that decision is going to be questioned not only by your own conscience and weaknesses and but also by your adversary, the devil. That's why Christ says, if any man. Singular. If any man will. If any man will come after me. This has been a heated debate because it's the idol of the Arminian, the will, and the dreadful word for many Calvinists. Oh, don't touch that. Yet it's a word clearly spoken by Christ concerning those who will choose to follow him. If any man will come after me. The whole text is about that. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. The whole context is Christ is saying, you have to do this. I'm not doing this for you. We're not marriots on a, on a, on a string, puppets on a string. And, and God just uses us without any recognition of our own. That's not how it works. Christ says, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. You deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow me. You do that. Christ ain't going to do it for you. You have to be determined in your heart and mind, I am going to follow Christ. And beloved, that's going to be put to the test more than once in your life. Are you, are you willing to continue to follow Christ? Yes, it is grace that sustains us. Yes, it is Christ that constraineth us. I know all these things and we'll look at that in a minute. But there's still an... Biblical aspect of biblical truth to our making the right decision and determination to follow Christ. The conscientious decision, if a man will, on the part of the true believer. Now I want you to know in this whole context here, you hear nothing of Christ saying it's by constraint. Or by force. Listen to me. It's not by constraint or force. But by a will which has been courted. And I love to use that word. Which has been courted and so powerfully affected by the grace of God that it heartily, wholeheartedly, and without any doubt or reservation, chooses to follow Christ. You see that? Whoever has received grace will want to follow Christ. It's not open to say, okay, it's up to you. If you're going to follow me in that sense, it's going to get you salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about following him. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about being obedient and following Christ. It's a will which has been courted and so powerfully affected by the grace of God that it wholeheartedly and without any doubt or reservation chooses to follow Christ. 
I love the old expression about salvation and election, predestination. God makes us willing of ourselves to come unto Him. He makes us willing of ourselves. Over in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Hope you know something about it. the beginning of John chapter 6. Christ had a couple hundred disciples. By the end of John chapter 6, he only had 12. One of them was the devil. Look at verse 67. Or verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back, walked no more. Isn't that amazing? If any man will follow me. Walked no more. Theologians have been fighting about that for years. Walked no more with him. Didn't follow him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. See? Decided. Conscientious. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now watch where this assurance came from. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a, Have not I chosen you twelve? One of you is a, You see, there's where the foundation of it is. I've chosen you twelve. That's why you're following me. You see the balance? I've chosen you. Therefore, you will. Beloved, this is the divine balance which enables the true believer to follow Christ. I follow him. I choose to follow him because I'm his. I follow Christ because I love him more than anything else. I follow Christ because he's chosen me. But it's something I purposely decide to do. I have run into many, many professing believers who once professed to be following Christ, who, like his disciples in our text, walked no more with him. I can't, I can't explain that. I'm not going to try to judge or criticize their heart. They must answer to their own master. I only know that I've experienced and seen that in my own life of professing believers. But I also understand that in my life as a Christian, it's solely by the grace of God that after 40 years I'm still walking with Christ. But it's a conscious decision that I make daily. Do you not make that daily? I mean, think about daily. You, have, you, can, you can make a decision to sin or not sin, to follow your evil thoughts and your ways or to deny them, to deny yourself or to take up your cross. It's something Christ in our text says, that's something that you choose to do. Yes, it's my grace that enables you, but you still choose do that. It's a divine balance. Over in Luke chapter 14. Stay with me. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Again, about following Christ. Listen to our, our Lord here. Let's let the Word of God speak for itself. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be 
my disciple. He cannot be. He cannot be my disciple. Those are things that they do. If you don't hate your father, your mother, whosoever and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Two times cannot be. Cannot be. Cannot be. And he gives an example. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it? So many people struggle with it, especially the hyper-Calvinists. They try so hard to explain this away. I like what Luther said. Leave the word of God alone. He said, listen, sit down first and count up the cost. Do you have sufficient grace to finish it? Lest happily after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all to behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, so likewise, so likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot. Third time, be my disciple. Conscientious decision. If any man will follow me. I don't have time this morning. I want to get on that next week as we go further into this past. But I, I want you to see what the goal, what, what the goal is. Follow me. You know why we make a conscientious decision to follow? Because we're following Christ. We're following Him. Where shall we go? You have the words of life. Beloved, this is such a divine balance and I cannot emphasize enough that we as God's people spend more time contemplating. It's not saying that man has the power and ability to do things that he can't of his own. I'm simply stating Christ says we need to make a conscientious decision. And sometimes it's every day whether we're going to follow Christ. Do you not? Do we not pray, Lord, help me to follow your will this day? May your will be done. We desire that. We long for that. And, beloved, if you don't set in your heart and mind, listen to me. You might say after five or ten years, oh, that could never happen to me. I'm telling you, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I've seen Christians after 15, professing Christians, after 15, 20 years who fall off, never walk with Christ. I'm telling you. You have to make in your heart and your mind a conscientious decision to follow Christ. Yes, based on the grace of God, which enhances and courts you, but it has to be something you do. That's why Christ said, if any man will, come after me. This is what you, you have to do. Christ is not going to deny your, you for yourself. He's not going to take up the cross for you. He took up the cross for us on Calvary. But our daily cross, he says, no, you take it up. If you love me, you deny yourself. And every Christian who has really, truly been caught up by the grace of God wants to follow Christ, denies Christ, and makes a conscientious decision to follow Him. If any man will come after me, the questions put to all of us today, and will always be, if any man will follow 
after me. Let him deny himself, take his cross, and follow me. Amen. May God grant us to know that divine balance. Because I guarantee you, every single one of us, I believe, has lived the Christian life long enough to realize there's been days, there's been days when we ask ourselves, is this really worth it? Only to find ourselves saying, sure, it is because of Christ. Amen? And I'm telling you, there's coming a time when you're going to realize the importance of this divine balance. Amen? Oh, what a blessing God's Word is. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray now, Father, that you take this divine truth, which has been, Lord, the source of so many debates and controversies over the years. I pray that, Father, you'd help us to just simply submit ourselves to the Word of God. Help us, Lord God, that we would just obey it simply as it is. Help us, Lord, not to put our own understanding to it, like Martin Luther said in his great hymn, Mighty Fortress is our God. I pray, Father, Lord, that we'd allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Help us to realize, dear God, that by your grace and by your grace only we stand. And yet in that grace, Lord, daily, daily, Lord God, you enable us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow you. Help us, Lord, not to look to others, no matter what they do, no matter what they say. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on thee. For, Lord, there's going to be many hindrances as we walk this pilgrim life. Distractions from Satan, from the world, even from ourselves. Help us, dear Lord, we pray, to be determined by your grace to follow thee. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.